Broadcasting from Fairfax, Virginia, you are now tuned in to the Highlight Cast with your hosts, Adam McNair and Kevin Long. Welcome to the Highlight Cast again. I am joined, as usual, by Kevin Long. Hi, Kevin. How's it going, Adam? Good. And also by Mary Padberg, who leads our internal operations. Hi, Mary. Hey, Adam. Hey. So today we're going to talk about CMMC. Uh, This is the Cybersecurity Month, and it is also – we have a lot of things coming to head uh, from the perspective of CMMC. This is the DOD, Department of Defense, cyber maturity model that they have created and – Unleashed on the world. Absolutely. And they gave they gave some heads up and some notice. I think this has been a long time in being developed. Uh, There's certainly a lot of content to it. It is much more complex than your standard compliance model. Most of the things that we see that are compliance related, whether it's Department of Labor or security clearance, most of the times it's a lot of policy stuff and a little bit of things you really have to do. Right. this is not that way. And so the it's being enacted. I, I completely understand why it's being enacted. Um, you know, we we all work in environments where we have customers and we have systems that are not air gapped from each other. So you can be inside of an environment and have protected information and have somebody email it to your to your home network. Um you can have people working with company equipment accessing customer data and you can tell everybody not to download things to the laptop but that's how information spills happen and people just do things so i mean it it seems like it makes sense right it it does and and this was being enacted way before everybody started working from home but i mean even still now, it's less and less work is being done on on government site itself, which means there's more and more risk being being put out into the world for for IT systems that the government has. So it's very apropos of the moment, and you know, came out at a at a great time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and I think with the bring your own, own device environments um, that we have and all these cloud systems, you know, we have email on our phone and we have Teams chat on our phone and, you know, being able to define and scope, um, you know, how the data is secured, where it is. And, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, and if it was just a tick box for, yes, we're secure, it would have been a lot like, you know, uh, other government policies, but wouldn't have actually – actually helped demonstrate data cybersecurity, which is, I mean, so it's more painful to, 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 to actually do, which I'm sure Mary can wax poetic on for, for hours, but it uh, actually has an opportunity, I think, to do some real good. Well, it's, it's an interesting scenario for us as well, because, so we've been having conversations in our IT meetings for in literally the last three or four years where we would talk about risk posture and risk profile. And we implemented ISA 27000, which put a little bit more rigor around, you know, and think, well, we it was kind of under the assumption that, it, you know, as long as things work, we're okay. And we don't really have a lot of data. And, you know, the IT team was really 
not really a team at one point. And so as we grew to have an actual IT team and an infrastructure and more and more uh, company-owned devices and more contracts, we've had conversations at least monthly and, and done a real threat landscape kind of analysis once a year about what's the landscape look like to us and what should we be worried about? And frankly, from a corporate perspective, phishing, have we see a lot more of that than we have seen concern about information leaks. Because again, most of our people are working on government furnished equipment and working in government environments. And so the overall threat you just assume that that it probably is not that high, but we certainly had policies around it and told everybody, don't save these things on these systems. Um, but as we recently um, won a new contract that, you know, in normal work times, everybody would be in the customer environment on GFE, and it would be a, an air gap network that doesn't have internet connectivity. We're we're looking at how do we make sure that these people are going to be supporting this environment that you know we are um you know that we are as as stringent as we can be and luckily we had started that whole process and had more rigorous conversations around it uh, as we started down the cmc certification self-assessment process we actually were Supposedly, according to our, our assessor, uh, the, the partner that we that we worked with, uh, Michael West and his team, and, um, and some of the folks from Broadsword, we were theoretically the first company in America to do a self-assessment, um, which, as you can imagine, was very much kind of both process building and assessing at the same time. Um, but it feels Us very the assessors yeah but it feels very much like a real live in-depth audit i mean mary you want to talk a little bit about what it took to actually do the the appraisal and the the, the, mm. the self-assessment yeah sure so uh, michael's team they came in and uh, we worked for months beforehand to um, go through all of the requirements so cmmc has five levels of maturity um similar to the cmmi certifications you're going to see. Um, and so we were uh, doing a gap analysis against level three. And so the DOD considers that good cyber hygiene and um, level three is expected to be kind of the standard um, level that you're going to need to to bid work and, and be on teams with, on the BD side. But um, so we went ahead and ahead of time kind of mapped out, you know, what we had, you know, what controls are in place, you know, what uh, procedures and policies from like ISO 27,000, 20,000, and just the basic, you know, FedRAMP stuff we comply with as a contractor. Um, and then we sat down for several days and went through it. And so we talked through a couple of things and something that was interesting about that was, you know, the requirements that are written up in the standard right now, um, they're not set in stone, right? The concepts are, but there's details about implementation and clarifications. And so, you know, um, it, it's a conversation about, you know, what does this really mean? What are they asking for? What's the spirit and intent of these you know, these requirements. So that was going on while we're simultaneously saying, okay, we, we can agree that I think this is what this means, you know, so let's look at what's in place. And so we basically just, you know, said, okay, either pass or fail or needs improvement and took, took record of that and then produced a action plan and um, 
you know, presenting that to Adam and the team um, to, yeah, kind of show where we're at. And I think we did pretty well, um, you know, against the model. And, and so there's always areas to improve. And there's always those questions about, you know, what is this really going to mean once they finalize, you know, certifying these auditors and everything? Because right now, you know, as you know, there's people are still getting registered as an auditor, you know, so it are kind of in a weird spot where, you know, we know we have to be compliant um, and the you know version two or whatever is out for CMMC, but, you know, all of the implementation pieces are, are kind of variable. So I, I think that's a really good point about kind of the, the, the strategy or the thought process or the underpinning of some of the requirements is going to stay the same, but because this is a highly technical model, this is not like, any of the other ISO or even the CMMI standards, they they look at it and say, okay, well, we say that you have to collect metrics. We're not going to tell you what co- metrics you have to right. collect. You decide which ones are important for you, and then show us how you're doing it. CMMC is prescriptive. Now, the thing is, I do think it makes sense. All the different areas where, for example, they say, look, you should be able to have device management so that you can lock down workstations and not allow them to have removable media. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean there's there's no reason why that that anyone would want to argue right. that that's a thing that you shouldn't do. So I I agree with them. Um I do think there is some some challenge from the standpoint of it is a moving target. You know, they they published this interim rule that there's now a deadline in November where companies are going to have to log a you know a, a self-assessment essentially to, to say whether they have have at least looked at them themselves at, at some level um, they're already dropping contracts that have it as a requirement. Yeah. So yeah is it something that you've heard customers on your side talk about at all? So from my side, not by CMMC, but by the NIST 800-171s. And, and like like the, the pieces that are underneath uh, that, that sort of build up the, the actual implementation of, of CMMC, absolutely. Um, like uh, across all all of the contracts that that I have that are DOD that operate uh, in, in an environment where we have to be cyber aware uh, that we're not just using their GFE in 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 their in their spaces where there's a whole other team or contractor group of folks that that are worrying about it. Absolutely. I mean, when we were working with Kessel Run, I mean, we we had to absolutely put in network and device security to to those NIST standards and report up to them on it. And as CMMC gains traction, more and more questions were coming to us about, hey, show us how you're compliant with these different things. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good I'm sorry, go ahead, Mary. Yeah, so that's a good point. Um, CMMC is one of the foundational, you know, NIST, you know, standards is 800-171, but um, there's also a lot of other things that go into it. And something that, you know, we were looking at was, you know, well, NIST 800-171 has been out for years, you know, and this this model is really a way for, um, for companies to have a stepped approach to compliance and meeting those controls. But um, you actually don't reach like level 100% 
compliance with an estate hunter on something one until you hit level three on the model. Um, and even then there's, you know, non-federal org controls that you have to meet. Usually if you're ISO 27,000, you're going to meet them, but you know, there's those additional things. And so it's kind of interesting to see the relationship between, you know, NIST 800 which won't go away and then CMMC and how those meet up and where the gaps are there as well. Um, I think it's easy to just kind of think, oh, we're CMMC compliant, you know, we're good. Well, no, there's other things that back that up. Yeah. So since it is such a technical thing with with cyber being such a moving target, do you expect CMMC to have to get updated more frequently than, say, uh, you know, CMMI or or the types of things that that are are similar with it? Because when I was first seeing this, I was looking at it going like, wow, I mean, this is a, a big framework around something that that literally changes every day. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And um. Yeah, I, I think the way that it's written, I think it will need to be updated in some areas, but it's prescriptive, but not overly so. And so I think they've really tried to hit on both the requirements for security controls on an on-prem environment and in a cloud environment. And so because of there's that ambiguity there um, and that discrepancy, it leaves enough room for the auditor to make a decision based on the landscape at that time. And so, you know, we could be sort of, if we had two assessments or two appraisals in one year, you know, and something huge happens in the cybersecurity landscape, a new encryption algorithm comes out or, you know, there's a new threat, that same auditor might come back six months after our initial one and say, hey, actually, I think according to this requirement, which may be, you know, authentication standards or the way that we're encrypting right now at SIP 140-2, they might say once 140-3 comes out, you need to meet that. I think they're going to leave that up to the auditors. Um, and so they've, they've tried to be careful not to make it too, too prescriptive. But uh, yeah, I do think it will, the implementation and the spirit and intent of it, you know, will adjust as, as things move forward. Yeah, I think also there will be more and more parts of this. There will be a lot of companies that are able to automate a lot of these things. Uh, there are tools in, in the, the marketplace now that you can do log aggregation and start to do a lot of the checks and searching and things that you need to be doing automatically. I, I think there's going to be evolution of how they do the appraisal and the skills of the auditors. Because in order to be able to come in, you know, if, if they're saying, how are you checking the logs to know that there's no uh, inaccurate uh, or, or malicious activity? The old answer was, well, here's my IT person. This IT person sits down every Tuesday and looks over the logs and then fills out a Word document that says, I looked at the logs, everything looked okay, and signs their name, or says this was suspicious and copies it in there. Now you've got real-time AI looking at all of this on a regular basis, and there are real-time alerts that would come out. And so it is a different level of understanding of what's going on to be able to look at system-generated notes and say, okay, this is this is the result of log aggregation and analysis that was happening from a machine. I'm not going to see a process written up necessarily because there's a tool that does this. And in a lot of ways, some of those tools, their process and their algorithm are proprietary for their risk modeling. So you can't show them, well, how are you predicting? No, no, I I bought this from a company that does this. So that's the tool that I'm using. Um, Right. Yeah. and, And I think also, you know, something that is from the interim rules perspective, 
it's easy enough to fill out a self-assessment and send that in and log it into the system by the time that you have to. I think um, I think that's not that hard. For I us, think there are well, yes. plenty of companies out there that that find this to be completely onerous. I just just I, I, I predict much gnashing of teeth. Well, I think there's two areas where you're going to have major issues for, for companies. I think the first issue is if you are in a re, in a reactive mode and you have been waiting for your customers to tell you things that you need to do. And I, I, I see this all the time, and I'm sure you guys do too, where the work quality in a given area of a contract is a little bit subpar, but you hear somebody say, well, the customer doesn't care that much. It's okay. Or I'm waiting for the customer to decide if we need to do something about that. If you're in a responsive stance and you are waiting for your customer to say, I just got the, the chief acquisition officer for our agency who sent it to the contracting officer who told me that I need to tell you that you need to do this, you're at zero you're time toast. window. Um, the other thing is this has been, I don't want to call it easy. It was a tremendous amount of work and Mary has been an inordinate <laughs> amount of time learning and working through all of this and the whole IT team. And we had a, you know, multiple appraisers that were in working with us to audit this. And, but we are starting from a framework of first off, our IT is process driven. So the IT organization is ISO 20000 certified, and so we have documentation for how we create a, an account, how we offboard someone. You need that as a foundational input to doing this. If you don't have any of that, this is a monumental task. Yes. The other thing, when we started doing 27, we started with comprehensive risk analysis across the organization. So that's not just, oh, here's some high-level risks. That's, okay, the recruiting organization, what are the risks there? Do we have plans around that? And in IT, bust conversation because there are things like capabilities of the systems that we have. When do our, our software platforms come up for renewal? Because here's the really hard part, and this kind of gets into what a companies need to do to prepare for this. A lot of the capabilities that are necessary here are not policy. They are not process. They are not abilities of people. You need actual IT tools that will allow you to do things. And that comes with number one, cost. The, the amount of time to identify the tool, negotiate it, buy it, and implement it, and then sustain it. Now you've got this whole project. You might have a dozen of those that you have to do to, in order to be able to be compliant with this. The other thing is, certainly at our size, I, I think you might, maybe when you get to be the, you know, the, one of the top 10 government contracting companies, they may have enough scale that it's a little bit different, but oh, I but imagine they the, have some of the same challenges. Oh, but the number of business units and the and the mergers and acquisitions that they do, they're always bringing on new companies and stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, if you're Lockheed or Khaki or Northrop, I mean, the, the, the work for them to be able to integrate and do this across their entire enterprise, oof. <laughs> yeah, so fair. So, so I, I'm I glad say, it's a, that we're doing it at our size and and being able to scale up from it, as yeah. opposed to having to lock it down from a, you know, a, a 
20,000 person company. Yeah, and the, the, the one thing that I think at, at larger scale, there are enterprise class tools that cover some of these, but it's interesting when you get down into like just for device management, when we started looking at MDM solutions, you go, well, here's the CMMC requirements. Oh, here are the top five most popular MDMs. They must all do this. <laughs> they no. don't. And no. so you then have these conversations about like how many tools are we really going to have in this environment? And a conversation that Mary and I had just the other day was as we do this, it's increasing the complexity of the IT yeah. architecture. And we're going to come to a point where we're going to need a sysadmin or two just to maintain the tools that are necessary for compliance. Right. And that that's if you didn't have anything installed. If, if you did have something installed, do you turn it off? Do you set up a parallel environment? I mean, the licensing on things like this, if you signed a four or five year deal for storage, for backup, for um, for MDM, right? what if it's not compliant? Yeah. yeah. You're in a bad yeah. situation. For yeah, sure. government contracting is not MDM's major market. Right. And right. right. that is. Yeah. Well, that's why you've been SOM for so long. Right. And they've only published. I mean, when was the CMMC, you know, first announced? I mean, we're looking at, at stuff just now. If a if a company put it on their product roadmap the day that it was dropped, I mean, we, we're, we're probably starting to see versions that that have CMMC right. from back in the day, you know, starting to, to come onto it if they really want to go after the federal market. Right. Well, and something interesting is that, you know, um, I've had people call me, right, because IT accounts, they'll call and say, hey, you know, we have this product and, you know, we're CMMC, you know, they, they have a, a word for it. It's not certified, but we're CMMC ready Compliant. or something like that. And you talk to them and it's like, well, no, you're not CMMC ready because you can't argue that that meets all those control requirements. And so it's really um, it's an art of piecing together, especially in a commercial cloud environment. So piecing together these tools and, you know, not only do you have to have you know, the data has to be meet these requirements at rest and in transit and during processing. And so if you have an API that connects two systems, that has to be meeting SIPs 140-2. It has to have all these requirements for authentication. And so back to what we're talking about with the actual audits that go on and, you know, does the auditor need to have a technical expert next to him? Because I can sit here as an IT person and if they don't know what's going on, I can show them an audit log that's not even relevant, right? Huh. Um, and so that's why they focus so much on the, the SSP, the system security plan and having your system architecture laid out so that when, you know, you might have a different auditor come back for your, your renewal, right? And so, so that plan is there and established and they can reference that and they're not starting from scratch um, and make sure that as the threat landscape evolves and as these tools evolve, that, you know, they still meet all of these requirements. Yeah, and I think the biggest, probably one of the biggest sources of gaps in, in the capabilities of these tools that are available is that because they are commercial products, they are trying to cover what is most commonly cared about. And any kind of security, cyber, it's true as well, is a balance between the user experience and functionality and locking it down. You know, the, 
the most secure <laughs> network that you can operate on is it's unplugged. Is unplugged, and so, but that doesn't work. In right. in the same way, encrypting every file, requiring a PKI key to be able to send anything to anybody, uh, dual factor authentication, you know, and so app lo- app timeout at seventy seconds. Absolutely, all of those things, and yeah. so we have baby stepped over the last four years from the perspective of. What's what's the next logical step? Right. What's the the just noticeable difference where we can be a little bit more secure without ruining the the computing experience of the users? And you know things like we're going to require you to have a password on your machine. Okay, we're going to require you to have one. Okay, we're going to require it to be a little bit stronger. Um, we're going to tell you to not save to your to your hard drive. You know, now by policy we're going to not let you save to your hard drive. And the thing is when those policies started to come out. I mean, I remember when people first said you should save it to the network drive pre-cloud, not to your your local machine. You know, well, but sometimes I can't connect to that. Now that they have all of the ability to synchronize data. I mean, my OneDrive, I hardly ever notice if it is connected or not connected because it is it synchronizes so so frequently that if something drops, if something wasn't connected, it really is not that big a deal. Um, you know, we started to push the idea of your password needs to be 97 characters and have special you know special symbols and everything else in it. Now we have password managers that help sort that. And the integration's pretty good. There there are. They're just a little slow to catch up always. They're like one stage or two stages behind uh, where the commonly adopted cyber methods are. Um, you know, when dual factor authentication was a thing, you're like, you're really going to make me now check a code on on my right. phone. And we've rolled that out across the entire company at this point. And I don't hear anybody ever say anything about it. And I bet if we had done that three years ago, there would have been massive hand wringing over why are you making us do this? Right, right. Yep. One part of that's also, I think the, you know, we've evolved from only a text code available to having an app retop approve, right? And, you know, CMNC, for example, um, they do require multi-factor authentication and in reality, they do. And so, you know, it doesn't say that I need to have a six, you know, 60 hour timeout, right? It says that I need to have a timeout. And so that's a business decision and a usability decision of, well, what is the risk of, can we, can, can we have it as seven or 14 days versus, you know, a day? And then, you know, because we can, you know, make a decision to make that a longer session token, then people aren't having to as frequently open their phone and approve things. And so it's the, the little details of how you implement this and how you interpret the standards and um, don't overprescript yourself based on your assumptions of the model, I think is important. Yeah, and you know, I um, I I always thought for a lot of years, you know, I just you know, I work for this little government contractor. Who's really going to come look at this stuff? Like the the, the information that I have access to, it is is I can't envision anybody really caring, right? And I've read in past months that some place where both Kevin and I, you know, worked for a while, got hit with ransomware. And they had a whole bunch of user salary, payroll data leak. It ended up on the internet. It published for everybody. It was and a black eye. Stolen shortly thereafter again. 
yeah, black eye for them, black eye for their, um, you know, for their customer. Yeah. And so it it is rapidly approaching with the amount of cyber attack that happens anymore. I think we really firmly are in a space where it's like uh, we just really don't want something bad to, you know, yeah. to, to happen. I uh, legitimately well, and- got f- two phishing attempts today. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And there's right. I mean, that's not they're unusual. Not, right. They're not, they're not, you know, you, the misspelling on, on the tag. I mean, they're, they're very sophisticated. They're getting absolutely. more and more sophisticated too. Right. And, yeah. and this is what happens. And so, yeah, absolutely. It's a business requirement. I think it's no, no different than having a lock on your office door, you know, with some of these controls and, um, you know, yeah, you have to be really progressive about, about your, your policies, whether that's technical or internal and training is huge. You know, the CMMC all focuses on training a lot. I, we see the ISO standards increasingly focusing on that as well because your users are your, you know, your best asset and your biggest risk. Right. Um, so, so it's interesting. And it's, it's a, and this is something that I've, it, it's a, a lesson that I'm continuing to carry forward from, uh, from Jeff Dalton, who is, is works for Broadsword from his process side is that, um, processes are, are only one thing. Behaviors are what are actually important. And so you can have a process, but if nobody follows it, it doesn't make any difference. And so that training aspect, you know, I, I won't speak for everybody, but I'll at least say for me, I, I I don't know how many years I had the same slide deck that I had to sign off on for the annual security training that was just, yep, yep, I know. If I'm going to travel overseas, you know, yes, I please don't misuse government equipment. Yep, I got it. Understand. Sign my name and I'm good. The 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 what we've gone to, the um the yeah. vendor that we we implemented for for Meliod phishing and yeah, that training. It's in real time. So we basically, you know, set up phishing campaigns and we'll target our own people. So if we know that, you know, it's um it's tax season, we're gonna target people with ta- you know, very highlight specific tax fraudy emails and then we can run see the statistics on who clicked on what, how far what they are you went. Saying about the fact that I got fished with a free donuts uh, ad. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I mean, we have fun with it, too. I, I think we have some interns in IT. I almost clicked on that one, do. too. I mean, it was, a, it was a really good one. And free, well, do- it on the, free donuts. It pulls on your emotions. You're like, I really want that donut. It's an excuse to drive out of the house with COVID, right? Um, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, so we do, we do those trainings. And um, instead of just having, you know, we have our, our annual security training and all the standard stuff we do for everybody. But we can target the most vulnerable people, right? We can identify who is most likely to click on something and then make them take additional training versus having my IT manager have to take a bunch of compliance training for no reason when he's creating, you know, creating all of that. And, you know, we still train our IT, our IT people and our more sophisticated people in finance and all of that. But and I get called, I've literally gotten a call from a, a new hire, which is, is good because he, 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 he was looking at his email on his cell phone where it's harder to see the, the metadata yeah. and things like that on it. And, and he fell into the fishing trap. He was like, Oh my God. And he, he, he hung up the phone and he, or, or he closed out the email. Then he he picked up the phone and called me. It was like, I clicked on this. It's like, okay. So you, did you learn something? It's like, right. well, well, yes. It's like, so what's going to happen? It's like, well, you're going to have to go to training, right? <laughs> and right. and you're going to be more careful about what comes through on your cell phone now, and you'll check. He's like, yeah. I mean, it's it's the type of lesson that. 
I mean, it's great when people make the mistake when we're hitting them. Right, right. And that's the key. That's the key, yeah. right? Or, yeah. And it's cultural, you know. Um, it, you know, it goes back to the policy. You know, if you have a policy nobody follows, it doesn't matter. Well, you know, how do you get by? It's organizational psychology. How do you get buy-in from users? How do you make them see how important something is? And, it's you know, when somebody clicks on a... Yeah, right. When somebody clicks on a phishing email and puts their social security number into a fraudulent link because they think it's Paycom, you know, that gets their attention. Um, and so, you know, I think it's it's effective in a lot well, of ways. I haven't seen that one yet. Oof. In a while, we'll do that. Well, see, yeah. and I have reverted back. I uh, I am now moving to a typewriter. So I will be sending out emails <laughs> by, by actual just mail. Um, the Pretty response incredible. time will be shorter, but I, I don't think that there's any way to have anybody fish <laughs> that. Um, Maybe I dust off like the the little mini cassette recorder and just mm -hmm. dictate everything. I just I snail mail small cassettes to everyone. I fully support both of those efforts, but they're not in our service catalog. So your turnaround time on tickets is going to be really long. Right, right. <laughs> Please tell Kevin to stop emailing the help desk for more tiny little cassettes. I need more tiny cassettes. That would be amazing. <laughs> awesome. I love it. So to wrap up the CMMC conversation, um, I guess, you know, Kevin, do you think we're going to end up seeing companies that specifically decide, I mean, likely on the small business side, that it's just too much work and that they're just not going to support DOD? I mean, you think that's a thing many companies are going to decide? Not without failing first. I mean, I mean, if you're a government contractor, that's where the Right? I mean, uh, or uh, I mean, a lot of it. So, um, I mean, if you're a government contractor and you don't have a facility clearance, and you're and you're focused on an agency, like if you're if you're an FAA company and you're going deep into transportation, maybe. But honestly, th this fully implements in five years. In ten years civilian agencies are going to have the same flipping requirements. Yep. GSA STARS 3 already listed the ability to insert CMMC. I mean, right. how do you not? How, how do you go in right. and say, hey, if you'd like us to put this clause in, we can make sure your vendors have good cybersecurity. Who's going to say, no, I don't think we need that? Yeah. I mean, unless all you do is OTAs or things that don't comply with the FAR, yeah. Um, uh, could, could you do that? And then the best case scenario is you're a small that develops something really cool, a niche, and then gets bought by a company that has the processes that that they can can umbrella you under it. But yeah, no, I, this I think that it's going to be painful, and I think boon for for certification companies. But yeah, it it is. It is at, at a company's peril to not to not do this. Yeah, yeah I, I do wonder if there's the ability. I mean, when FedRAMP came out, FedRAMP was hard. Oh. Uh, I, di I did one of those and it it cost we were well north of two and a half or three million dollars to build out a FedRAMP private cloud instance. And it's really, really hard. But there's a lot of fed ramped you know the process has gotten better more there's more people that know how to do it etc so it's it's much more achievable than it was you know five years ago or six years ago whenever that was um 
I wonder if there's the ability for for someone to create essentially a Fed ramp CMMC. You you buy your IT service already hardened like wow. this. Right. Um, it'd be expensive. I mean, it would be. That's that's the hard part. Is CMMC AAS? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, CMMC is a service, and I I think I think wow. you could. Uh, the investment on the front end would be pretty steep. Yeah. Um, the complexity of being able to have multiple instances that are that are all compliant would be pretty hard. And I yeah. think it would be expensive to buy. But I think maybe from a, you know, if I if I'm a fifty person, hundred person company, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how you. I don't know how you do this. Right. To be honest with you. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Um, yeah. But I guess we'll see. You know, as as time goes forward here, we'll see how that evolves. Um, we're certainly. I mean, based on our self-assessment, we're pr- pretty well compliant, and uh, we're going to line up some of the capabilities that that w- we have known some of our tools. We wanted to upgrade anyway uh, over time, and so we're going to upgrade those. And so we're, um, you know, we're on track for it. It it has been certainly effort and work, but I think way less disruptive than where I would envision it to be for um, you know for organizations that hadn't already started with a built real framework of process driven approach and and risk management to a, to a lot of these things. Um, so that's CMMC. I, I guess, you know, one thing that we are going to start talking about uh, as we as we wrap these podcasts up is, so we're all still working from home and quote unquote home. Um, you know, s- some of us have worked from different locations throughout this. Now, Kevin, have you been at home the entire time? Have you done any like, have you guys gone on trips? Have you been in some Airbnb trying to work remotely or have you just been home home? Uh, I took a long weekend for our anniversary in early June, but didn't bring my laptop. So if if I've been, I mean, I had my cell phone with me and I can do, I can do like 80% of my job for my cell phone, which is amazing. Yeah, right. Sounds like Adam. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it just takes a long time to, to type with these meat paws that I have. Um, but... No, I mean, if I've been working, I've been in one of two rooms in my house this whole time. Um, yeah, it's a, when you have, I mean, we've got three cats and we had a puppy and that that is not Airbnb. No, or that, travel, <laughs> travel uh, uh, friendly at all. So, so, what, so what's the most challenging thing that's happened to you since you've been trying to work from home? Oh, um, my wife buys the puppy uh, uh, squeaker toys and uh, just I mean I've literally you know last week had had Pixel you know the, the border collie co- come into our room where I'm working and just start squeaking the bejesus out of out of her out of her toys so yeah I mean I'm trying to have a have a meeting and you just hear something like <laughs> Again and again, yeah. And there's it's a symphony. It, it it is. She's a she's she's a musical prodigy. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, she's also really entertained by it for a really long time. And you can only go on mute and say, "Go away, Pixel," for so long because as soon as you say her name, 
you're playing with her. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so what I've learned now is is uh, only work in a room that has doors that can separate you from the dog, um, and and make sure you throw the frisbee for the dog for you know seven minutes of no joke sprinting tires her up. So you when you have a, a, a must have meeting, you start seven minutes early. You throw the frisbee for her, and then she's just panting in the corner and happy and none of the squeaky so but yeah so my, my fails are all so are, are recently dog related i got you now, now mary every time we see you on video you are frequently at a different location i i have thought at times that they might be just different teams backgrounds that you've decided to download but so the, um, the itinerant ops manager is, is yeah. what that is <laughs> So of of the various adventures you've had in teleworking as we've from March to now, does any do any of them stick out in your head? Yeah, yeah, working anywhere from home, anywhere but from home, I guess. Yeah. 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 So I mean I was living on the lake for four months. So that was pretty cool. Um working from the boat, the hammock, the porch, the downstairs. From, from a kayak. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the car for a while. That was exciting. Um, on a hot spot. So, you know, in a parking lot because the lake has no, no signal on the phone or internet. So, um, you know, it's, it's my biggest challenge has been internet, really satellite internet hotspot. The hotspot wouldn't work. So I installed a LTE antenna, like a booster system on a PVC pipe. Um, that was, that was interesting. And there's all kinds of relay issues with that. Um, but yeah, I, I've been in a lot of places and now I'm working out of an office that's not our office, but an office. So more normal. <laughs> yeah. Right, I, I, I think the, so the most entertaining one to me as, as, as we have, um, as we've been working like this is, um, so my, my parents built a small cabin up in West Virginia, like, I don't know, 30 some years ago. Right. And it is, it was built before the internet. So those kinds of things weren't a consideration. And it happens to be in the national radio quiet zone. This is a, (laughs) it's by the telescope. Yes. It is about a a hundred square mile area. Um, located primarily around Green Bank, West Virginia, where they do not allow cell service. They do not allow, uh, depending on how far away from uh, from it you are, you're not allowed to have a microwave in your home. They have a little van with a sniffer. They drive around and they knock on your door and say, you know, maybe we can get your toaster oven, but the microwave's not going to work. And up until recently, they did not allow any Wi-Fi but the spectrum of Wi-Fi, as we have now gone to five gigahertz Wi-Fi, it does not interfere with their their satellite. So, I uh, I called the local telco provider and um, and asked them if they could, you know, if if they could turn the you know if they, what, the, what the Wi-Fi speed was, and if it, you know, because I asked my father, you have Wi-Fi you have internet up there? He says, Oh, absolutely, we we have internet and. Um, 56k modem they that's exactly what it was there was a telephone line that he could the laptop and I, as i was there i was like well no i'm, I'm here and I, I need to work so i, I called down and uh, very nice folks talked to me and said well yeah we can um 
you know, we can we can turn the internet on. And I, I said, okay, but um, I have a, a router and everything. I brought one just in case. Like, can I just get you to turn it on? And they said, well, not until you bring us the cable box back. I said, well, you won't turn it on. Could you please turn it on? Like, no, because once you do this, you know, it it, it kind of you don't need the cable anymore because there's only one wire coming in. They said we, we, we would have to run a new wire, but we can piggyback off of that wire and you can if you go out into the box and move it in the box outside, that'll be the Internet circuit now. I said, okay, this, but when you do that, it's going to unhook the cable. And I said, that's fine. I said, okay, but well, we won't turn it on until you bring the cable box back because if you don't, we think you won't ever bring it back. So I had to, uh, I, I had to at that point, because again, I have no way to tell anybody because there's no cell service. So I, I had to get up early one morning and drive the thing over the mountain and return the box and come back to get the internet lit up so that I could then hurriedly go back and jump on my Zoom calls. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, only a cable company would, would do it that way instead of just saying, we're going to continue to charge you rent for the cable box. Yeah, it's like, I'll pay, we can pay, we'll pay for an extra month. That's okay. Right. No, no, no internet until you bring the cable box back. That's amazing. And, and, and again, it's like 35 miles over a mountain. It's not like you just run down the street to the red light because they don't have red lights. So yeah, that that is the uh, probably the most interesting part, that and crawling around trying to find the phone box and, and plug the wires in and, and all of that. So uh, so that was entertaining. But it's wild and wonderful. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, great. Well, thanks, guys, for uh, getting together so we could talk about CMMC. It's a big thing in the uh, in the market, um, yeah. and we will continue. So that we've we've had some blog posts out. We'll have uh, this out. We'll have some articles out on our LinkedIn talking about uh, some of the aspects of this, and then uh, we'll have some new guests. the uh, The next uh, podcast we're planning is we actually do event planning as part of one of our contracts. And as both industry events and, and kind of all events have gone virtual, uh, we have some interesting experiences there and we are supporting a couple of our customers to do virtual events. And so we will be talking about that, but uh, we will talk about that next time. Thank you guys very much. Thanks, guys. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect Highlight Technologies and or any agency of the U.S. government.